Welcome to the Founders Keepers podcast. Interviews exploring stories behind the founders of change-making businesses in social impact, healthcare, and health tech industries, and what makes those founders tick. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Hatton, and this week I'm joined by Pete O'Hearan, the founder and CEO of Fibrobiologics. Fibrobiologics is a clinical stage regenerative medicine company based in Houston, Texas, developing a pipeline of treatments for chronic diseases using fibroblast cells. They hold over 150 US and international issued patents and patents pending across various clinical pathways ranging from disc degeneration to orthopedics, multiple sclerosis, wound healing, reversing organ involution, and cancer. Pete is a seasoned leader in his field with over 25 years of experience in medical technology and biotech development. Prior to founding Fibrobiologics, he founded an operational investment group, Advanced Medical Technologies, that identified early stage opportunities in the medical field with strong intellectual property potential. He also founded Neurosurge Technologies, sold to Cooper Surgical in 2006. In this episode, we cover having a high tolerance of the word no, working without a proverbial safety net, and revolutionizing the regenerative medicine world. Let's get started. So Pete, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You have had, from what I've read, a very varied, wonderful, exciting career. So can you tell me about yourself and the journey that's led you to where you are now, which, as we spoke about briefly offline, is opposite the NASA headquarters in Houston? That, that's right. And thank, thank you for having me. Um, you know, I started my career, my undergraduate and graduate degrees are both in um, healthcare administration, hospital administration, and that's where I kind of started. And I worked in that field for probably the first um, third of my career and really got to appreciate um, surgeons and, uh, and, and meeting with them. They all wanted to start other businesses and they all um, were natural inventors and they all had the capacity to invent the resources to file patents. And then they kind of got stuck on what to do with their product. And so in 96, I guess it was, a group of surgeons asked me to leave the mothership of hospital administration. And we went out and started a company, a surgical instrument company. And uh, we had taken the products to every venture capitalist in the country, over a hundred meetings. And we told them that we had designed the best system in the world. And they all said, no, you didn't. Well, 25 patents later, we returned 950% to those shareholders. And we circled back to the VCs and we thanked them for their guidance and let them know what had happened. And they all said, well, we're check writers. Everything, anything you do, we'd like to you know, be a part of. And I said, we just work with individual guys, individual surgeons. Uh, and we love those guys because they're great deal flow. They're constantly thinking. They're great testing uh, places for, for any ideas that we have. And they have the ability to make those initial investments in the technology to get it kind of through the proof of concept. Uh, say. So I left in 96 and I have never been back. We have been out here developing products, improving products. And this particular one we're working on now is a game changer for us. So everything we've kind of worked on in the past were improved technologies. And this one uh, is one that is literally a game changer. No one, no one else in the world was working in this space. And uh, so we're excited. We're excited what we've seen in the lab. We're excited what uh, our, our contributions of our, our surgeons in this project. And, uh, and uh, we think it's going to lead to some really um, great results for those patients suffering from chronic diseases. So let's dig a bit more into that then. So you, you currently are working with Fibrobiologics. So tell me, what does it do? Who is it targeted at? What is it that you're working on at the moment, as much as you can probably reveal? <laughs> We kind of describe it two different ways, kind of stem cell 2.0. There's two cells in the human body you can use to regenerate tissue and cure chronic diseases. There's a stem cell, which everybody has heard about. 
and there's a fibroblast, which almost nobody's heard about. Of course, if you're a scientist, you know what a fibroblast is. I mean, everyone does. But, but the therapeutic use of fibroblasts is, has been largely unknown. And so we started our work in the spine area with that, and we saw some really um, dramatic results. We worked with Dr. Tony Mikos at Rice University in Houston, who built a kind of a simulation device uh, to determine if we could turn these uh, fibroblasts into chondrocytes. And then it moved on to Dr. Howard Ahn at Rush University in Chicago, who did two um, animal trials for us and had tremendous success. While we were doing that, we, I kind of looked at the field and said, well, is there, if it, we were seeing such benefit there. Are there any other areas? Can we challenge our scientists to start looking in other areas? And I'll tell you, Grace, it, it was an explosion of discovery in the lab. We, everywhere we looked, they had a therapeutic benefit. Fibroblasts are the most common cell in the human body, oddly enough, and ironically compared to stem cells. They're the most common cell. They're easier to harvest than stem cells. They're easier to grow than stem cells. They're less expensive to transport than stem cells. Most importantly, they're more potent than stem cells. And if you, they can become any cell in the human body, including a stem cell. So if you need a stem cell, you can make one from a fibroblast. And how do we get those fibroblasts? We just use a small dermal punch about the size of a number two pencil eraser. That's all you need to get those fibroblasts. Um, so people ask me sometimes, well, if they're so great, why do we only, why have we only heard about stem cells? Well, that's easy. Dr. Yamanaka in Japan won the Nobel Prize for stem cells, induced pluripotent stem cells in 2012, and the race was on. So everyone focused, much like what we saw with uh, Jennifer Dudna and her team with CRISPR uh, a year or so ago with um, that Nobel Prize. It really awakens the whole scientific community to head in that direction. We were the only ones working in the fibroblast space. So we have, uh, during that time period, we were uh, working in the lab, filing patents, challenging ourselves. And at one point, we were filing five patents a week in this space. So we started with one patent in the disk, and we've organically grown it to almost 400 patents. Well, very impressive. And just, I suppose, backtracking a little bit, I'm always intrigued by people who make the leap from academia to business. And so I wonder, do you think it was your scientific background and being surrounded by, as you've said, these natural inventors that led you into entrepreneurship? Or have you always had an entrepreneurial spirit? I think I always had the entrepreneurial spirit and I always had the passion for biology. I was the biology geek in high school and and in college, too. I remember walking into a botany final and it was 50 microscopes. And you were supposed to look in there and tell what was happening on each slide. I looked around the room and there were people sweating, saying, oh, my gosh, I can't. To me, it was just like reading it on a piece of paper. It was it just came natural. So I always love that part of it. My background is in the medical field. My grandfather was the first urologist in Houston. He brought kidney dialysis to Houston to uh, save his friend's life in the late 40s and early 50s. Uh, my mother and my aunts were nurses. I, my wife is a nurse. So I'm immersed in the medical field and uh, I just love it. I never, never thought of doing anything else but being involved in medicine. I suppose the field of biotech is highly competitive, but also highly lucrative. And I say that having sort of slightly dabbled in it myself. What is it that differentiates fibrobiologics from its competitors? Is it your focus on, as you say, fibroblasts, which seems to have been a historically ignored, shall we say, research area? Um, or what is it that you think adds that extra element to what it is that you're doing? Well, I think if you compare us to other cell therapies, that's certainly the case. If you compare us to Big Pharma, for instance, and this is no criticism to my brethren in Big Pharma because I use two of your products this morning and I use it every morning. But in 70 years, 
of creating external chemical compounds and introducing them into the body. We've never cured a chronic disease. Think about that. In 70 years, nothing has been cured. Now, uh, wouldn't it be nice to take one pill and cure my hypertension in the mornings? But not. We take the pills over and over and over again. So we haven't found a cure. Our feeling is that you're probably not going to find an externally man-made chemical compound that's going to cure an internal biologic process. Probably not. The cure for a biologic process, and we've mentioned this at the World International Pharmaceutical Conference, and I think you could have heard, heard a pin drop in the room. But I said, we've done the research. We can't find an example of a cure in 70 plus years. The cure will come through cell therapy, gene therapy, and immunotherapy. That is to say, the body's own biologic processes will cure the defects that it created in its own biologic process. So I think that's the future and the promise of cell therapy compared to big pharma. Compared to other cell therapies, it's easy. They're using stem cells, and we're using fibroblasts. And in our test, fibroblasts outperform stem cells. Now, I'm not saying there's not an application out there where stem cells would outperform fibroblasts. We just haven't seen it in our tests. And I suppose from a more business-focused perspective, given the niche area that you're working in research-wise, I wonder if you could tell me about some of the investors that you partner with and how do you essentially convince them of this story and the difference that fibrobiologics offers compared to, say, these stem cell-focused um, companies and how they can essentially trust you with their money? I mean, that's, that is the pivotal question in building the company. When we first started um, looking for uh, capital, there was one or two peer-reviewed papers on fibroblasts every six months. There's one or two a day now. So people are starting to understand the therapeutic benefits, whatever small part we might have played in that. But it's great for us to have those third-party validators out there that are, that are talking about fibroblasts. But it was easy. I've done projects in the past where I present to a group of doctors, and it's really a dangerous thing because one guy can really spoil the whole room based on his own clinical experience. It's not like that with fibroblasts. They haven't heard of them. And so when they, when they go do their research and they call their friends, they come back and they all say, wow, this is really interesting. I want to be on the forefront of this. I'd also uh, direct you to our scientific advisory board. They're all stem cell experts. And so you can imagine when we, um, when we make contact with them and have no previous relationship with them, there are directors uh, of programs in stem cells, and they are world-class experts in that field. And they say, well, let us go do our research on fibroblasts. And they all came back and said, we'd like to be a part of this project. So I think all of those things are kind of validating when they, when they look and see what fibroblasts can do. I mean, there is a reason we evolved to have it be the most common cell in the human body, because it's probably involved in every biologic process. And what would you say is the scrappiest thing that you've had to do to date for the business or previous businesses that you've worked in? <laughs> Raising money. Raising money. <laughs> Fair Raising enough. Money. You know, I, I talk to uh, uh, younger people that, you know, friends of friends will say, oh, you, you know, you've worked in, uh, you're, you've been out of college for five or six years and you've worked and you want to start your own business, you should call Pete. And so they all, you know, they all do the classic math of, well, if I put this GPS device in there's 50,000 golf carts in America. If I put this GPS device in 10% of the golf carts and I charge another $10 a day for the GPS device, here's what my bottom line is going to be. And I said, well, what if nobody uses your device? So they look at the math differently. So I kind of tell them, you have to come into it with, what if I don't get any customers? And this, it's the same thing in raising capital. I've had people, I've, I tell people all the time, what would you say if you had five business meetings where you had kind of soft circled a million dollars to raise out of those and all five canceled 
on the same day within an hour of each other. That's the difficulty in raising capital. And one of them fly all the way across the country, a four hour plane trip to get off the airplane, to get a note from the assistant, get back on. We're not meeting today. So those are the, those are the tough times, but you have to look through those. I've been through it enough and you have to see what's on the other side of it. That's what we like to say. The other side of it, uh, there is that person willing to support and take a chance. Uh, and we just have the best group of shareholders. Um, they are absolutely fantastic and they are neurosurgeons, general surgeons, radiologists, anesthesiologists, high net worth individuals and some family offices. And they are just so supportive of this. So I wouldn't trade my shareholder base for anyone's. And have there been any particular standout challenges that you'd see faced so far as a business founder? Well, the funding to advance the science. So you, there's kind of two levels of funding I look at. There's funding to keep the doors open, treading water, keeping everything static and being able to pay your the cost of your intellectual property. And then there's the one where you can actually go initiate a study. So that's the kind of the second level of funding. So I think that getting the funding to the level where you can initiate a study, I think is the is the difficult part. And that's why we, out of those 400 patents, we carved out kind of the crown jewels um, for British analogy there. We, we carved those out to uh, take it public so that we can uh, have access to the resources to do the large human trial. So we took out uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, degenerative disc disease, orthopedics, cancer, uh, wound care, which we're seeing some great success on that. And then a new program that we uh, have just filed patents on for our extension of life program. I think it's, to me, I, uh, we haven't seen anything else out there like it. It could be historic intellectual property where we're um, regenerating the thymus and the spleen, kind of the work centers for the immune system as they start to decline when you get into your 70s and they stop, really stop training the immune system to detect the um, defective cells. You don't have, you don't have more defective cells when you're 75. As you did at 45, it's just the body stops detecting those. Fibroblasts make up a large part of those, of the contents of those glands, and that we think we can go in and rejuvenate those using fibroblasts. So it's really, really exciting. Very early stage work in that area. And then we've got a new delivery system that we that we're working on, um, which has a biologic time release to these patents. So you can to these fibroblasts. So you can put them into a, an open space, if you will, like the shoulder, the knee, or you can put it on a wound. It has a very predictable time release, kind of like an Alka-Seltzer. If you put it in the bottom of a glass and you see it fizzle out, that's that, that's kind of the analogy we use for uh, these type of fiberglass. So it has a really, and it has a has a room temperature shelf life of seven days. There is no cell therapy in America that has that. Uh, so that's really exciting for us. Absolutely. And um, could you perhaps walk me through what? A, I'm reluctant to use the word normal or typical, but perhaps as close as possible to typical workday would look like for you? I can tell you what I did yesterday. I had four meetings with investment bankers. Uh, so that took up about six hours. I worked two and a half hours on uh, claims on a new uh, cancer patent. Uh, let me see what else I did. I had to um, work on our website um, content that had to be reviewed. I'm looking at my calendar as I'm talking to you. Um, and then we there was a call with legal on an international patent that we are looking at. That took an hour and a half. My day ended about midnight last night. So a lot of meetings then? A lot of meetings during the day. And then you, we, you know when you're working on your intellectual property where a one word can make or break a patent, I, at least for me, I need complete silence. 
And I get that about nine o'clock at night <laughs> so where nobody's calling or texting. And uh, I can spend time looking through that and focusing. So that's all TVs are off. Music is off. It's just going through the, the paperwork and the details of it. And you briefly touched on some of the exciting stuff that's in the pipeline um, at Fibro Biologics, but what can we expect perhaps in the next 12 to 24 months from you and the company? Well, we will um, become a public company um, probably uh, Q1 of 2023. Um, and we will use uh, those resources to fund human trials in wound care, uh, multiple sclerosis, and a degenerative disc disease. So you'll see all of those come online for. Um, for uh, large human trials. And I would guess that wound care might, you might see that come out commercially first among those three, and then probably MS, and then right after that, maybe degenerative disc. And then we will, we will begin a large um, uh, kind of a scientific push in our cancer program and our extensive life. And slightly different line of questioning, but what would you say is personally the biggest contributor to your success? Um, I, if you ask my shareholders, they would all tell you a, a obsessive compulsive disorder. Maybe they would probably. It, it, I'm sure it's just an obsessive, single-minded determination. That's what I. And I think that all entrepreneurs probably share the same thing. You know, I heard Elon Musk say one time, I, "You have to work twice as hard than me because I work twice as many hours as you do." So I think that that you would probably see that with uh, with all entrepreneurs. And I. I I am a little amused when I see universities start entrepreneurial programs. And I always laugh to think you don't need to be taught in a class. If you're a true entrepreneur, you already have it in you. There's a, you know, you don't need the class to tell you whether you're an entrepreneur or not. You kind of, you kind of are, or you aren't. So, um, and you have to be able to be out on a limb without a safety net. I've had, I had a really brilliant designer, mechanical designer that I would have loved to have brought on board. He had uh, five children and he just loved, he said, man, I want to do what, what you do. And I said, no, you don't. We're, we're out here without a safety net. And I said, he, and he had five children, but he would have been brilliant if he'd done it. He said, how do I do it? And I said, you give up your health insurance, you give up your retirement and you go home and look your wife and say, I'm going to start this venture with this guy. And there is no safety net. And he said, I think I'll stay at the mothership. So <laughs> well, on a more positive note, what would you say you're most optimistic or excited about regarding the future of fibrobiologics and more broadly, the future of regenerative medicine? I'm excited for the cell therapies that will be hopefully approved by the FDA in the coming year. I think that will be a huge milestone. I think Mesoblast has a couple of applications for stem cells that, that they could get approval on this year. And we need that. We need, we need to have it commercialized. We need to get approval um, to get these out there. We need, to, we need to optimize these cell therapies. We need to improve their performance. We need to lower their cost. And I think you'll see that in 2023. So I'm most excited about the pending approvals of cell therapies. I think it, uh, that kind of a rising tide will lift awareness for everyone. And would you do anything differently if you were to start again? <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I, I have a, a friend who um, w builds companies kind of through the venture capital route, through the institutional investor route, and I build it through the angel route. Uh, and there's pluses and minuses with both of those. So if five angel meetings cancel on me. I wish I had a venture capitalist to talk to, but you know, I don't think I would change anything because it kind of got us here. If we had used institutional or venture capital, we probably would have only been allowed 30 patents and two disease paths. And now we have 400 patents and 30 disease paths. So I don't think we would have been allowed to explore the science as completely as we have if we had taken on those larger institutional or venture-backed 
um, investors. The individual guys are very supportive of that. And they're actually, they suggest ideas. So uh, I, I, some days I would like to have a do-over, but in aggregate to get to where we are, it had to, had to go through the exact process. And is there any other advice that you would give to would-be business founders wanting to follow in your footsteps, perhaps? Well, you know, have a have a high tolerance for the word no. Don't take it personally. Um, uh, I heard Tom Hanks said the other day, "These this too shall pass." It's such great advice. Uh, all five of my meetings canceled. This too shall pass. Uh, you know, we had we're you know we're feeling pretty confident ourselves. Wait a couple of days, this too shall pass. So I guess I would give that to a, an entrepreneur. No, no matter where you are on your highs and your lows, this too shall pass. Pass, and you should just you know try to stay as even kill as you can. And I'm saying that if my wife was here, she'd say, "Well, you don't do that." But <laughs> we try. Uh, we tried to take the no's in the context that they were given. And that what I what I say to my CFO and my CSO every day. It doesn't matter who says no. It doesn't change the science. So if I presented to a room of venture capitalists and they all stood up and said, we're not investing in your project, that doesn't change the underlying science that I just presented. So that's the encouraging thing. It doesn't matter if 300 people say no, the science doesn't change. It's just their individual choice to invest. That's, that's their decision. But it does not change the science. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Founders Keepers. And if you have, please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a review on whatever listening platform you are using. Be sure to tune in next time for another Founders Story.